0: The World Health Organization says that good health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. In that spirit, we uphold health as one of our core values. We believe that as we embody a life of health, our emotional, relational, financial, physical, and spiritual well-being will be transformed regardless of our circumstances. Billy Graham once said, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost when health is lost something is lost when character is lost all is lost we believe that true character can only be accomplished when we embody healthy choices in order to thrive in every area of our lives when we settle for anything less we become dysfunctional so as we embrace a life of hope purpose and peace we discover something that is worth more than silver or gold health it's how we follow jesus every day And everywhere with everyone. All right,
1: Beller family, exciting time in this season as we gather together. I've been reminding many of us for the last few months that next year is our 60 year anniversary as a church. And what an amazing moment as we pause, as we look back on those 60 years, as we give thanks to God for all that God has done. As we stand on the shoulders of faithful men and women who have faithfully followed Jesus to make an impact not only on this campus. But in this city and around the nation, around the world, and as we gather here today, I I meet people all the time, first-time guests. I know many of you have been around since year one. Whether you are on that spectrum, anywhere in there, today is our time. This is our season as we faithfully follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. And this is something that it's not my mission, it's not the staff's mission or the pastor's mission, but if you call Beller your church home, if this is your family, if you're checking this place out, I'm asking you to live this out. It's a way of life. So whether you're in third grade or you're 103, I believe that absolutely we can live this type of a life, not just on Sundays, but every day, not just here on campus, but everywhere, not just with Christians and those that are just like us. But with those that are absolutely dramatically different than us. As we've been unpacking what that means to follow Jesus in that holistic way, we're uncovering five different values. And if you've missed any of them, I encourage you to go to the website. You can go on iTunes. You can download our podcast and catch up with them because on November 15th, which will be the last Sunday of this seven-week experience, I'm asking that you, if Air is your church home, that you would be all in. Not that you would be able to do this perfectly, not that you wouldn't make mistakes or I wouldn't make mistakes along the way, but that we would at this time have the courage to show up. Remember last week? That we would have the courage to simply show up and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus with this group of people in this season every day and everywhere with everyone. The first week we talked about hospitality and how different cultural hospitality is from Christ-centered hospitality. Last week, we took a look at courage and how different that is in terms of cultural courage and Christ-centered courage. Well, today, we're going to take a look at health, and there's a huge difference between cultural health and Christ-centered health, and I got to tell you, I've gotten more interesting emails from this topic. A lot of you are nervous about this message. Some of you are excited, but I've gotten some things like, oh, health, Drew, really? I mean, are you going to get us going on, like, some church-wide, like, workout program? <laughs> are you going to make us go, like, all organic or… I mean, if there are rumors about a farmer's market that you want to have on campus, what is going on? <laughs> you know, I know Jesus lived in the first century, so are you proponing, you know, promoting like a, a first-century Mediterranean diet? Because I'm paleo, and I don't know if I could go Mediterranean. And there's been a, this, a lot of just like, what? What are you going to do? And that perfectly illustrates a cultural view of health. Because we do know, of course, that health has so much more than to do than just physical or mental or emotional. In fact, it, it, I think the world agrees, and we would all agree, that, yeah, we're, we're complex people. And that who we are as human beings has got to be approached at, uh, from a holistic perspective. And yet at the same time, I think we, especially in the West, especially in the United States, especially in 2015, we segment and we departmentalize all the different areas of our life. And what we do is we look for experts and resources in each of those different areas and we draw from them. So we look at emotional health and we say, okay, if I'm going to make the inner self healthier, my emotions and my thoughts and all those things. And I'm going to look for perhaps a therapist or perhaps coaches or perhaps uh, resources or writings that are really help develop the inner part of me. But we, we kind of, we keep it in that corner of our life and we look for other people to help with the financial sort of things. We're not going to our financial advisor, we're not looking to Warren Buffett's writing or Dave Ramsey to help us with our emotional side, but we're looking to them for our financial health. And then we move on to the physical health and we're looking at you know, Jillian Michaels on, on TV and some of these amazing trainers and maybe some of you have coaches or, or nutritionists or, or, or health wellness experts and you go to them and you say, okay, help me, but you don't invite them To help you with your finances or your emotions, you put them nice and neatly in that box. And we do the same with our relationships. And we look to people to help us grow in our relational lives. And then it comes to our spiritual health and we show up to church. And we assume and we expect that I, other pastors, other Christian leaders, other Christian writers, that our small group leaders will only speak to the spiritual health of our lives. We think that, This has only to do with our spiritual life. That this has nothing to do with our relationships or our physical health or our financial health or our emotional health. And so the problem is we we categorize and we try so hard and we're spending more money than we've ever spent before in each of those different areas. The problem is when we segment them those ways, we often will sacrifice one area of health to grow healthier in another. And what we'll do is we'll work so hard, we'll focus so much on our inner health, our emotional health, so much so that we'll sacrifice our physical health. Or some of us will will focus so hard on our physical health, and we're doing two-a-days, three-a-days, we're doing all this work, we're doing so many things, and what we're doing is we're not making time for the relationships in our lives. And we're up early at the gym and we're out late, you know, doing workouts and we're missing out on the relationships. And on and on it goes and it's so easy for us to begin to just get overwhelmed, to get exhausted. As we try to grow in these areas of health, and in many ways, many of you perhaps you even come here today with a, with a spiritual longing, a desire to grow spiritually in your health, but you're doing so in your mind, perhaps, at the exclusion of or at the detriment to other areas of your life. You might say, gosh, okay, if I show up to church more often, I guess I gotta cut back at the gym. So therefore my physical health will decline. Gosh, if I show up more at church, then I guess my relational capital with some of my coworkers and friends that don't go to church, I guess that's gonna drop down. And that's a very cultural view that. We'll never holistically grow, but we can only pick and choose the areas that we can grow in. It's absolutely exhausting. But a biblical view of health, a Christ-centered view of health, is very, very different. In the sense that it holistically speaks to every part of who you are. That in fact, Scripture and God can speak into not only the spiritual health in your life but also the relational and physical and financial and emotional health, so much so and in such a holistic way that when you begin to understand the way that God promotes us to be healthy, the way that God longs for us and designed for us to grow in these areas of health, and we actually find that you don't grow in some areas and not the others, but that all of it begins to compound upon itself that our spiritual health will begin to increase our physical health and relational health and financial health and emotional health no matter what the circumstances are in your life. You see, because a very worldly, a cultural view of health says it's all about how many calories, it's all about what pounds you lose, it's all about how you look, it's all about what your portfolio and its diversity. It's all about, you know, your relationships and your experiences. It's all about what you put on your Facebook wall and your Instagram feed. But we're absolutely exhausted. And as a result, we're unhealthier now more than we've ever been. And yet a Christ-centered view of what God invites us into that says this, that no matter where your finances are, no matter what diagnosis the doctor has just given you, no matter if somebody close to you is no longer there, No matter any circumstance that you could ever imagine, you can actually begin to experience a real peace and a real joy and a real rest and a real health that is so much more magnificent than you could ever imagine right now. And so much so that you'll actually begin to get from your therapist and your nutritionist and your doctor and your financial advisor so much more because it's put in a proper perspective. What I'm not going to advocate is this. All the answers are in here, which they are. What I'm not going to say, just that the answers are in here, so therefore you don't need financial advisors. You don't need people in your life. You just need to no longer take medicine. If you've got a headache, don't take aspirin. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is is that if we have a Christ-centered, a healthy view of what health is, actually in all these other areas of our life where we actually have people speaking into, helping us sharpen us, other experts, it will actually be enhanced and enriched so much more than ever. And so, the way I want to walk through this message is simply in three parts. First, I want to take a look at how we absolutely fall short, how unhealthy we really are today. Second, I'm going to take a look at how Christ perfectly, Jesus Christ perfectly embodies health. And then finally, we're going to take a look at resources. A way in which we can grow in our ability to embody that type of health. But before we do that, I want us to turn to a page in Scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And as you open that up, it's in the pew and in front of you and behind you, and as you've got that perhaps in front of you, you, perhaps some of you are in the front row, you can grab that red book. It's right behind your leg. In that cubby, I know some of you are online, you're joining us, and we're in the New Revised Standard Version, but if you're in the room, it's on page 972, chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 12. And I know some of you are skeptical. Some of you are like, no, 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 no. You're, my, you're a pastor. Speak to the spiritual health. You don't know anything about financial, emotional, relational, physical. And I guarantee you that if you have that skepticism coming in, when I read this passage, you'll say, see, you proved it. That's got nothing to do with emotional health. That's got nothing to do with financial health. That's got nothing to do with physical health. That's got nothing to do with any other things. What on earth? Why would you choose that passage to talk about holistic health? Well, let's see. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Indeed, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. God. Now let's, let's pray here as we, as we begin to let this shine a light into our lives. God, we thank you for this moment. We pray, and I pray, that it would be your truth That pierces our hearts, that resonates deep in our soul, that gives us hope and a perspective that it can only come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, first let's take a look at how unhealthy we actually are. So, emotional health. Well, we at this point in human history have more labels and more ways that we can diagnose Emotional dysfunction. In fact, I was a psychology major at the University of Southern California. It was phenomenal even in those four years how many new labels and new things. They actually had to really print a new manual to describe all the ways that were messed up. And in many ways, society tells us through our statistics and even just in our experience that we are emotionally so fragile. And there's so much unhealth, we see it all around, that we at this point in human history are the most medicated, the most over-prescribed nation and group of people that's ever existed. And there's this emotional vacuum that we try to fill with all these things. We actually have today more resources, more things at our fingertips. Just go online. You can even go on right now. How do I become emotionally healthy? There are infinite resources at your fingertips at the same time that we have more resources than we've ever had before, we're more emotionally fragile than we've ever been. And that's just the emotional side of us. Then you look at the financial side. We have more debt than we've ever had before. Right now the average American has $16,000 of credit card debt. The average student loan is $30,000 that has to be paid off. And right now, though we have so many resources, though we're making more money than we've ever made as a nation, though we here in the United States make the top 1% of what the world makes, we're absolutely crushed under this financial dysfunction and unhealth in our lives. And one of the greatest stressors for individuals, for families, and marriages, and relationships is financial stress. And it's this massive weight, and though we have the resources, though we have advisors, though we have all these options in front of us, for some reason we we are becoming more and more financially unstable as individuals and as a society. As we look at physical health, you know, it's actually fascinating. Let's first take a look at the food that we eat, for example. Did you know that the United States right now, as a percentage of income, spends the least amount on food than any other country in the world. Let me say that again. As a percentage of our income, we, the United States, spend the least amount of money on food than any other nation in the world. And we have wrongly assumed that organic and healthy are just luxury items. I have a friend who calls Whole Foods, he calls it Whole Check. Because of it's so expensive. And some of you, you laugh because you know it's true. But how interesting is it that actually we can afford it? We can afford healthy food. We which look at food not anymore as a basic necessity. as the thing that will actually cause us to thrive physically, but what we do is we try to minimize the amount of money that we pay on food so that we can have more money for all the things that we really don't need. The bigger TVs, the faster phones, the nicer cars. We spend all this other money on disposable income, and we pride ourselves on, man, I got it so cheap. I got the two for one. How awesome is that? And I've done all this research, I know it's crazy, right, on... on on our agricultural system in America. And in the 1970s, there was a decision that was made that the highest form, the highest decision made right now that we experience all the effects of is simply this. It's how to get the most calories for the least amount of money. Everything that we do as citizens of this country fits within that agricultural world world worldview. How do we get the most amount of calories for the least amount of money? And so what we do is we we subsidize corn, we subsidize soy, and now three-quarters of all that's in a supermarket now has these ingredients because it's so inexpensive. And with energy becoming less and less expensive, How crazy is this? That we have believed as a nation that it makes economic sense to catch a salmon in Alaska. This is actually happening right now. We catch salmon in Alaska. We ship it to China to be filleted. We ship it back to California so that we can eat it at the cheap. And we pride ourselves, I got this salmon, a buck ninety-nine a pound. And yet we have no idea is the unseen and the hidden costs of that. The rising healthcare as a result of the unhealthy food that we eat. The people who are enslaved in labor around the world that we exploit because we just want it cheap. You see, we're actually caught in a system that many of us are not even aware of of how detrimental our spending habits just on food. And there's this sense of us, on one hand, spending more money than we've ever spent before on getting healthy. In fact, 80% of the global market on getting healthier is spent by our country, yet at the same time, the United States is the unhealthiest of all the affluent countries. We're unhealthier than we've ever been physically. We spend five times more time watching television than having meaningful conversations with people in our life, and that leads into our relational dysfunction, our relational unhealth. In the 1960s, over half of Americans said that there's, you know, this general sense that people are trustworthy. Now a quarter of Americans think that people are trustworthy. Three-quarters of Americans think that everyone around us is untrustworthy. Some of you are here. You think I'm untrustworthy. You don't believe any of these statistics. (laughs) Three-quarters of the chance, you're like, what is he? No, no. At the same time, statistics are showing us that we are lonelier than we've ever been in the history of humanity. One out of four people, one out of four Americans says that they don't have one person in their life that really knows them. They don't have anybody in their life that they have meaningful conversation with. They don't have anyone in their life that they feel connected to. Many of you are here longing for, you want that, you want to find just one person that knows you, that cares for you. And yet, sadly, sometimes we buy into this lie, this idea that it's only the spiritual health that really matters. In fact, you can take a look at American Christianity and say that it's actually the most dysfunctional it's ever been in the last 2,000 years of the church because we've turned God into this vending machine. This just becomes a commodity. And we look to this like we look to Dr. Phil and all these other experts. And we try to glean what we want. And we're actually spiritually as unhealthy as we've ever been. We're absolutely dysfunctional. As a society. We're more stressed than we've ever been. We're working more than we've ever had. We're unhealthier in so many ways and we experience this. And I'm sure for some of you this is causing a lot of anxiety because you know I know what this is like and we're caught in this, this, this system of trying to get better, trying to get out of it. And perhaps you come today longing to be emotionally healthy relationally, physically, financially, spiritually healthy, well, you're in good luck because we can take a look at Jesus who perfectly embodied health. Now, again, somebody sent me last week a Dr. Oz show that took a look at what Jesus ate and they said, oh, is this what you're going to talk about? You know, are we going to eat what Jesus ate? No, this is, that's not what it's about. But in fact, you can take a look at the life of Jesus And you can see that in Jesus, he embodied perfectly emotional health, financial health, relational health, physical health, and spiritual health all in one. In fact, if you look at the teachings of Jesus through those lenses, read the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus speaks to our emotional health, our financial health, our physical health, our relational health, and our spiritual health. In fact, all throughout all of Scripture, we see Jesus perfectly embodying this this amazing truth. In fact, one of the titles for Jesus is the Prince of Peace. In the Hebrew, it's Sar Shalom. Now, the word peace is so easily misunderstood in our English language. We think of peace as just, you know, lack of war. Peace is no conflict. But peace in its original sense of shalom was much deeper, much richer. It was an absolute sense of holistic well-being. In fact, in the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis 1 and 2, we see this picture of God creating all things in perfection, and it says that we dwelled with God in absolute peace and absolute perfection. You could describe it this way, that as we experience shalom, as we experience wholeness, the ultimate picture of health in the Garden of Eden was that, that we were whole in our relationship with ourselves perfect emotional health, we were whole in our relationship with others, perfect relational health, we were whole in our relationship with all of creation, the financial and physical health and what we consumed was absolutely perfect, and we were whole in our relational health with God. And this relationship with God began to spill over into every area of our life. It was an absolute picture of of what we all long for. What we spend money for our therapists and our trainers and our financial advisors is to try to get us back to the garden where we experience true shalom. And Jesus came and He says, you can have that now. The very ministry of Jesus Christ isn't for you just to know things that will get you into heaven, but for you to experience life to the full, to thrive emotionally, financially, relationally, physically, and spiritually in a holistic view. There's this picture of Jesus as He ministers. He doesn't talk to just our heads or just our hearts or just our bodies. He expands it, speaks to our spirit and our soul, our very beings. There's this other amazing truth in all of Scripture. It says that Jesus created all things. It says it in Colossians. It says it in John. It says it in the book of Hebrews that this entire cosmos that we live in That we're still learning about in science, as we're still exploring the vastness of this universe. Scripture says that Jesus created all of that as the eternal Word of God, the Son of God. Did you know that the cosmos, the universe that we live in, is so fine-tuned That if we were just a mile closer to the sun, or a mile farther from the sun, or if the mass of the earth was just a little bit bigger, or if it spun a little bit slower, if the sun was just a little bit bigger, if the dark matter as a proportion of everything else in the universe was just a little bit more or just a little bit less. In fact, if you were to add just a dime, you know, like a penny and a nickel, a dime, doesn't weigh much, if you were to add just the weight of a dime to the weight of the cosmos at its beginning. If you were just to add a dime, it doesn't seem like much. If you were just to add a dime, it would be impossible for life to have ever existed. If you were to take away just a weight of a dime at the beginning of the cosmos as it began to explode into, through all of God's creation, as God spoke all of it into existence, if you were to take away just a weight of a dime, we wouldn't be here today. In fact, scientists are telling us how precarious All the factors had to be so that we could be here just today. The mix of oxygen and carbon dioxide, all the things in this world is absolutely mind-boggling. And when you consider the book of Hebrews says that Jesus holds all of that together by the power of His Word, then it reminds us that we're not just some accident. We're not just some speck in the universe. But rather, we were created with a purpose. And we have a creator God that has come down to us in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And he says, you think I can't handle your emotional problems? You think I can't help you with your finances or your relationships? I have to come to give you shalom. I have come to give you peace. I have come to give you life and life to the full. And yet still many of us think, no, 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 it's, it's spiritual health that you can provide. No, 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 it's an absolutely holistic view of every moment, of every day, every decision that we make. But how do we grow in that area? We're absolutely dysfunctional and unhealthy. Jesus embodied it perfectly. How do we begin to grow? Well, I can quickly say this, that I imagine that what many of you assume I'm about to say is not what I'm going to say. It's not about trying harder. It's not about putting more work into our emotional lives or putting more work into our financial health. It's not about putting more work into all these things. That's what the world says. We're conditioned to think that to get rest, to get health, to get peace, to get shalom, you've got to put in the good work, you've got to put in the good time, but no, 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 no. You see, there's this amazing truth in Scripture that's unpacked for us in Genesis chapter 1 that God creates... Everything. And whether you believe it was created in six 24-hour periods or if you think that those days represent millions of years, whatever you believe, the pattern that God created everything was this, that he worked and 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 he worked and, he worked and, he worked and then he rested. And he looked upon all of his creation and he said it was good and he rested. And we, because we think we're gods, we do the same thing. We work and 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 then we rest. We work for all these things. We think that if I just work a little bit harder with my therapist, work a little bit harder with the trainer, work a little bit harder with the financial advisor, then I'm going to get to this place of peace. Then I can rest. But you're not God. You've been created by God. And in Genesis 1, it says that you were created on the sixth day, the last day of God's work, so that your first day wasn't a day of work. It was a day of rest. In fact, the Hebrew and the ancient Jewish worldview understood this very clearly. You you need to understand this because if you understand this, it will change everything. You see, we think that we have to work and then we have to rest. God says, no, no, no. You start with rest and then you work. We think that our day begins when we wake up. You got to get out. You got to hustle. You got to get to the gym. You got to do all these things. You got to get ahead. And then at the end of the day, ah, finally I rest. No. What Scripture says is that the day begins at sundown. My Jewish friends know this so well. My whole neighborhood, basically. <laughs> at sundown, Friday, Shabbat begins. I see him, Shabbat Shalom. May that Sabbath rest in peace. May you experience that. They know that it's at sundown. You see, their day begins with rest. And in Scripture, it describes every day as, and it was night, and then it was day the first day, and it was night, and then it was day the second day. You see, we need to understand that it always has to begin with rest, that before we can do the hard work that we have to do in our emotional, relational, physical, and financial and spiritual lives, we first have to come to a place of rest. Take a look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. Open that back up. I know some of you put it away. And if you can't grab one, you can hear these words. In Hebrews chapter 4, I'd love for you to read it later, eight different times across 11 verses, it uses the word rest. It talks about it in the past tense. It talks about it in the future tense. It talks about the nation of Israel going to the promised land, getting rest. It talks about resting from your work. But it also says in verse 3 of chapter 4, this, for we who have believed, present tense, For we who have believed enter that rest. Just pause there. Jesus has come so that you may believe in Him. And in that moment, you enter into what is called the rest of God. You see, long before it was a day of the week, you know, the Sabbath, it was a principle. It's a reality. In fact, all throughout Scripture, there's this imagery and there's this language that's used that says this, that God's rest… Is his rule, which sounds odd. All throughout scripture it says God's rest is his rule. You see, when you go to a therapist, you want the best one possible. And when you believe that you're in good hands, then you rest easy. When you show up to your appointment to do the hard work. When you want to grow, in your, your physical health. If you can afford the best, the expert, I mean the best in the world, then you show up. You know that you're in good hands. You show up and you can rest in the fact that you're in good hands. There's going to be a lot of work ahead. But you have a peace that all the work flows out of. There's this truth in Scripture that says this, that when you come to Christ, you need to know that you're in good hands. The best hands infinitely better than any therapist, any financial advisor, any doctor, anything that you could ever find out there. And in fact, if you are to step under His rule, His authority, if you're able to put your life into His hands, know that you're in good hands, and then when you know that you can actually be at rest, be at peace, because then you can do the hard work ahead. You see, there's this moment, as I read earlier in chapter 4, verse 12, which many of you are like, well, what's the tie in? God's Word, it's alive, it's active, it's a sharp sword. What's, what's the deal with that? Many of you, you know the story how early in the summer I finally got my wisdom teeth out. You heard that story, right? Remember that? How awful it was? Well, I hate going under the knife of the dentist. And so there was this. If you didn't know the story, for decade, a decade or so, my dentist was like, dude, you got to get your wisdom teeth out. It's going to get bad. I refused to go under the knife. I refused to put myself in his hands. I didn't want the pain. I didn't want the discomfort. And my health suffered. So much so that infection began to spread, and the doctor's like, you have to go in now. Who knows what's going to happen? And so finally, out of kicking and screaming, I finally, with all that pain, I went under the knife. It's awesome. Get your wisdom teeth out. I can't tell you. No more headaches. No more swelling. No more pain. Why didn't I do that ten years ago? I also have a hard time going under the knife of God's word because Hebrews four twelve talks about God's word as a sword. It's alive and active. It it separates spirit and marrow. It literally cuts. The Hebrew word there is trekeza, like tracheotomy, literally to cut. And this amazing picture of if we're willing to, if we are humble enough to go under the knife of God's Word, that God's Word's going to cut out all the emotional, physical, financial, relational, and spiritual unhealth in our lives. And yes, that's going to be uncomfortable. But when you know that you're in good hands, when you know that God's not going to give up on you. When you know that at the core of who you are is one who is loved, who belongs, who has a life that transcends the circumstances, then you can walk through this life with absolute peace. You've entered into his rest. And you can grow in those areas in as much as you're willing to stand under the rule and reign and the authority of God. And so, Belair, as we as a church are gonna move into this new season together, we're gonna talk a lot about what does financial health mean? What does it mean for us to take a look at the food that we eat and not to be part of a systemic system that that absolutely breaks people's back, that exploits workers around the world, that we would be mindful in our choices of our consumption, what we create, our inner life, our external life, in our relationships. We're going to do all those things, but it's not a place of just achieving and striving and working, but it's going to be out of a place of rest. That no matter what we have in our portfolio, no matter how we feel physically, no matter what our relationships or anything else that's going on, that we have an absolute sense that God's Spirit is dwelling in us. So that we can say something like this, I have a good friend, this is the last thing that I'm going to share, who is a pastor, one of the men I've looked up to the most perhaps in my life. And last Sunday, he was preaching at his home church in Uganda. I spent over a month of my life with him. And he has struggled with with bone marrow cancer. And so we here in the U.S. and those that know him have been praying for him, asking that God would heal him, talking about health. And he gets up in the pulpit and he preaches on Sunday and he says, stop praying for me. What? A pastor? Why would he say that? He says, stop focusing on me. Stop fixating on me. Thank you. I appreciate all that. But focus your attention on those that don't know Christ. Focus your prayers on those that don't have Jesus. Focus your energy, not on me, in the midst of all this. Focus all of it on doing the work that God has called you to do, to live this life that God has died for you to live. That was one of the healthiest things I've ever heard, even though he was dying of bone cancer and even though the next morning he stepped into eternity, into the presence of the Lord this past Monday. And the last thing they said from the pulpit was this, live. How could he say that? How could he have that sort of peace? Yet with bone cancer, you see, he didn't pray. Free me from that. We had prayed for that, and God can do that. God can do miracles. Absolutely, we believe that. So it says in Scripture. But he also said that I'm at so much peace. I have such a healthy view that I'm about to spend all of eternity with my King and my Savior, cancer-free, drug-free, treatment-free, and I get to experience that for all of eternity. We need more people to come join us to be part of that. It's one thing for me to hear and for me to say these things. It's another thing for you to begin to take it in, to process it, to discuss with one another. And so what we've been doing in this whole series is we've given you an opportunity to to begin to interact with this, to, to, to grab a hold of this. So why don't you, if you have this, this was handed to you as you came in. I know we might have extras and you might be able to share with some around you, which is no problem. This is what I want you to do. I want to read some of these as you open it up on the inside cover on the left side. Four different things that I want to invite you to consider for this week, that you would try one of these four things to grow, ultimately from a place of rest, not out of a place of striving. Let me read these for you. They're also up on the screens if you're joining online. In what areas of your life do you feel the most healthy? Praise God for that health. Every breath we have is from Him. Second, think about an area in which you feel you need to grow healthier, emotional, relational, financial, physical, and spiritual. Pray that God will give you the strength and energy to begin changes towards health in that area. Next, invite someone close to you to discuss what biblical health looks like and ask that they help hold you accountable to growing in health over the next month. And then finally, take a step toward further health by doing one thing out of the ordinary that is healthy for you each day this week. So, I'm not asking you to do all four of these, but simply to choose one that you would engage in, that you would begin to put into practice as we grow as a church. A lot of resources that we're going to be sharing with you. A lot of the classes that we have right now, Foundations for Healthy Relationships. My gosh! financial peace university that we're going to do in the new year. The silent retreat that many people are on this weekend is reminded out of a place of rest, out of a stillness, out of a absolute security, who God says we are, that we're going to grow and expand and thrive out of that. There's so many things going on. But first, let me pray. I'm going to have you break up into groups of two or three. And just for two minutes, I want you to identify the one thing of this list of four that you want to begin to put into practice this week. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this moment, and I pray that we would have the courage to share with one another, that we would show up, that though we have much to learn, much to grow in, we're not perfect. God, I pray that we would share just one thing that we want to lean into this week, knowing that ultimately, wholeness comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.